Hello, and welcome to another podcast of Soft Skills 101, Life Skills for a Digital Age. I'm Lisa Nearing, your host, joined by my husband, Dr. David Nearing. In the last episode, we talked about respect and connection in electronic communication. In this episode, we're going to be talking about methods of electronic communication. So I encourage you to subscribe and download these podcasts and please share them with your friends. And now, here's David. You know, Lisa, when we were kids, social networking would have gotten you in trouble with school teachers because social networking at that time was called passing notes. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, way before electronic media even was part of our world at all. It wasn't at all. Right. So last time we were talking about honor, respect, connection, and the biblical mandate of how we are to honor and respect people and their roles. Today, we're going to be talking about how to be respectful and how to achieve connection with different methods of electronic communication. Because let's face it, we love electronic communication. We're able to connect with our friends around the world. Our homeschool, True North Homeschool Academy, allows students and teachers from around the country and the world to take classes live online every week. So it's not like we disparage it at all. That's true, but methods of electronic communication do differ. And they're chosen typically for efficiency, convenience, and productivity, but they differ in how they impact communicating honor, respect, and really, truly authentic connection with one another. When we were younger, we were trained in manners. And I don't know that it was very formal very often, but there was expectations of manners. And especially when answering the phone, we were expected to answer the phone in specific ways. But now a lot of times kids are just given phones And they're not really sure what to do with it or how to respond, how to protect themselves and each other as they're using these electronic devices. As we're talking about this podcast and coming up with different things that we wanted to share, one of the things we came up with was really about how to educate your children on expectations you have for them and how they should conduct themselves while online. First of all, there's no really such thing as private social media for minors. You should have access to your kids' social media accounts at all time. And along those same veins, there's no such thing as private social media between spouses. Is it because we don't trust each other? No, it's because we have a high regard for each other and want to build an accountability in our relationship. So in our house, we actually turn the Wi-Fi off at night because the research that's come in has said that Wi-Fi, those constant waves are really not good for developing bodies. Also, we just want our kids to turn off their cell phones put them down for the night and actually get a good night's sleep. I did work with a a one-day-a-week classical program for a couple years during junior high, and one of the things I noticed is that the kids were coming in very tired. A lot of them got cell phones when they were 12 and 13 for their birthdays or Christmases, and so I noticed a a real difference between pre-cell phone usage and post-cell phone usage. The quality of their work often went down, and they came into class tired, really tired. Upon further investigation, what was happening is these kids were playing music all night long on their cell phones, or they would get up throughout the night to check out YouTubes or talk to each other on the phone or text back and forth. So they weren't getting good night's sleep. And these are growing, developing bodies. They need sleep. Sleep is just so absolutely critical in the educational process. But more to the point, these young people aren't actually leaving one another. There's no getting away. There's no being gone. There's not normal means of coming and going and being right. separated and being together. Their their whole understanding of what it means to be with someone and not be with someone is really confused. And it's particularly important because a lot of the adolescents and young people 
they are becoming dependent upon their personal devices and electronics for their socialization. And matter of fact, many young people complain that when they don't use their digital devices, they have no socializing. Mm -hmm. So we are, as Christians, are to be a distinctive people. We're to be different. But as parents, it becomes our role. In fact, it is our role to educate young people about relationships, about community, about having conversations. And we start with that by having conversations with our youngsters ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's important that we actually talk to them about why we do what we do, what these conversations are about, how these different communication platforms impact or don't impact us, and how we as a family are going to be different from other people, even though there might be some entitlement. Right. And one of the conversations that's important to have is that if they have not purchased the phone and pay for the Wi-Fi, they don't own the phone. You actually own the phone and you're loaning it to them. A lot of times we just give our kids phones and there's this entitlement. I've seen this with kids. that it's, There's this sense of it's my phone, it's my device, it's my game, I can do what I want. When the reality is they didn't buy the phone, they didn't save up for the phone, they didn't long for the phone. The phone was given to them really before they had the maturity to handle everything that came with the phone. And now they believe that they own the phone. Right. It's kind of like a teenager's room. The teenager's room is, in essence, sublet from a parent. Mm -hmm. It is the parent Do respects... Do we get rent for that? Because I haven't seen much yet. They're called chores. Oh, right. Okay, got it. Right. The chores <laughs> is the rent that they're playing but it's to us, but it's also a way that they say that they love us in the same way that we love them. It chores are how family members tell each other they love one another. Right. And in that same way, when we respect their space, we respect the room, we show respect for the limited amount of sovereignty they have, but that respect cuts both ways. Mm -hmm. And the flowback on that is to, res to respect the parents' sovereignty over the room, over the phone, over the car, over all of this until that child, in fact, is emancipated. Mm -hmm. And at that point, there is no more sovereignty right. of the parents. Of the parents. So I did want to just touch base on teenage socialization. As our kids have gotten older, our kids are between the ages of 15 and 33, and so we've had kids before the cell phone world and after and in the middle of it. One thing we've noticed with our older kids is that if they don't text and have a cell phone, they often are not included in social type events with their peers, Christian or not. And so a lot of kids feel like they have to have a phone to have any kind of connection with people their own age. I just want, I want to say that because it's really important for us as Christian parents to try to make a place and space for our kids to have a social life. Right. It's not going to be easy for them in this digital technical world. Right. And this is an area that I think churches are falling down in, in that I don't think they really take the responsibility to teach families and young people that they don't have to be like everyone else. Matter of fact, they can't be like everybody else if indeed they're going to be truly Christian. You have to choose one or another. But another way in which Christians are to be different is that they are, are to have time with one another around meals and socializing and spending time together, where phones and electronics are turned off. They're not on. There is time for actual relationships between mom and dad and youngsters. So it's important to take those meals in some kind of a circle mm. all at the same time. Right. Either around a dining table or around the family room. Tables are a little bit better than than family rooms because of the structure, but either one will do fine. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's important that there is that circle of time together where electronics are shut down. And the first people to actually do this need to be parents. Mm -hmm. Right. So one of the things um, you do when you're having meals together without electronics 
is you mirror each other. Now, this is a, a human development concept. When, when babies are little, they really need mirroring by adults. And mirroring is an adult looking into the face of a child and, and seeing them and laughing with them and teaching them expressions and how to respond. It's not just for babies. It's for kids. It's for teens. It's even for adults. People need to be mirrored. They need to know that they're seen, that they're heard, and be responded to. And that's what you can do at a family table that you can't do when you're looking at a device. You absolutely cannot mirror a person if you're not looking at them. Which means you're not actually having a human relationship. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're having an electronic relationship. Right. So, so what are some of the things that we talk about, about around our dinner table often our history. <laughs> We're always quoting books and movies. I quote everything incorrectly. So that's always a, a big, you know, everyone's always correcting my, my misquotes. But we do talk about history and theology and books we're reading, movies we've seen, right. interesting facts about um, politics or what's going on in the world. We talk about the weather quite a bit, which sounds kind of cheesy and cliché. And yet our kids know a lot about the weather, don't they, honey? Yeah, Mr. But weather in, nerd here. Yeah, but in South Dakota, weather is, <laughs> is not it? just cheesy and nerdy. This is South Dakota, right? Okay, right. Where the winds go roaring down the plains is really what it is. Okay. Right. <laughs> but we digress. Right. So not only is, is mirroring and conversation and connection important in teaching uh, kids to use uh, social media effectively, but there should be no platform or game that parents are not involved in, at least superficially. That doesn't mean I'm saying that parents use the game or play the game, but the parents have to be able to know what all the platforms are that their kids are involved in. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit like, you know, do the kids go to houses of people that you don't know, or do they go to stores and places that the parents don't know? No, that's bad practice. Mm-hmm. Rather, if they're going to some kind of application or going to some kind of game, the parents need to be introduced to the game so that the parent knows about it because in these games and places, people are anonymous. And that really gets to, like, your kid might be there in body, but in their head, they're in a different quote-unquote room, right? And so you want to be in rooms with them. One of the things that we've talked about um, between us is that anonymity breeds crass behavior, and you see this online quite a bit. If people think they're anonymous, they act in ways that are more base and crass than they normally would. And this, this is, this happens all the time. It happened, um, uh, during the political, um, presidential campaign and the nomination with the last, um, Supreme Court nominee. Um, people think that they can't be seen. And so they say things and do things that they want if it was up close and personal and their first and last names were known. Well, that's because the whole point of dignity and respect is it relates to who we are in community and relationship because these relationships don't relate to anything with real life and death or functional impact on our life for the most degree, then dignity and respect gets kicked to the wayside rather than participating in a community. So when you say community, I'm on some Facebook groups. I feel like we're in community on some of those groups. Sure. Well, that makes sense. Have you ever done laundry with any of them? No. Uh, I try to avoid laundry. (laughs) And how often can you make a a lunch date with these folks? Right, never. Right. And if you ever got a flat on the road, how they help you if you got a flat on the road? Right. So real community is doing things together, real life stuff. Stuff that actually impacts your life. You have to be able to look at the person and see if they're drooling or not. You know? (laughs) (laughs) You've got to be I'm happy to say neither one of us is drooling. And that's what the point is, is those little things 
are important to connecting between human beings. Mm. It's, it's just basic. Right. So social media does allow kids to enter into different worlds, even though physically they might be in the same room with you. I've heard parents say for many years, I don't need to check where they're at online because I trust my kids. I think that's very naive. I want to recommend this book. I've been recommending it all year long, Glow Kids. Um, I heard about it from Israel Wayne, another podcaster at the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. It's a must-read for every parent. Whether or not you trust your kids, your role is to protect and teach your kids in every circumstance. And that might mean if your kid is doing a game that you don't know about, it might mean that they teach you the game. But one of the things about gaming online, especially role-playing games, is that your kids develop an avatar. What's an avatar? It's something that's not real, and it protects who they really are. It's anonymity at the highest form, right? And so when we just talked about anonymity breeds crass behavior, there's a lot of avatars that live online. And so your kid might act one way in the room with you in real life. They might act totally different behind their avatar. Furthermore, there's other people online that are predators that might be presenting themselves to your child in a way that could be really harmful to them ultimately. So know what platforms your kid are on. Teach them how to act with integrity, regardless of whether they're online or in real life. Integrity means consistency across the board. Well, and that's what's it's fundamental. I mean, one of the common words we use to describe one another is hypocrite. Mm-hmm. And yet, uh, to my knowledge, the first person to use hypocrite, a hypocrite really means over the face. Meaning, it's not that we call each other hypocrite all the time. You're talking about in general. Yeah, right, right. Now, the we here <laughs> is clarify. not in this, it's this relation. The we is in society. So right. thank you for pointing that out. But hypocritas really means over the face, and it refers to actors of the Roman period. It's mm-hmm. how actors used to be at that time. They used to wear faces, masks over their face rather than makeup. Mm. And the first person to use this to mean person who's got an ethics issue, to my knowledge, is a Jewish carpenter from Nazareth. And so it's reflecting <laughs> this idea, right? The idea that as Christians, we are to walk with integrity. We are to walk as one person. We are to be authentic. Well, the whole point of an avatar is it teaches you to be somebody you're not. And that's okay in game playing. That's okay to play pretend. Okay, when you're acting. But when the person does that as a matter of course, as a way of living, mm. then their personhood is kind of disintegrated. And parents really are not speaking into that mm. to a great degree. In fact, they're letting go of that because in many ways in their attempt to give them freedom, they're actually creating a certain amount of distance and alienation from the parent. As a psychologist, you mentioned disintegrated personality. And how important is it for young kids to really learn how to be an integrated person as they're maturing? Isn't that part of maturation? Well, that's that's what adolescence is all about. That's that whole search for identity. That's that whole search for trying to figure out who they are. And in this modern society, what's happening is young people are given a whole list of who they are that can be changed like a set of clothes. Yeah. And as a result... Sadly. Sadly, right. They don't actually develop a sense of... This is who they are in the end, finally, at the most basic level. Their identity is much more shallower. It's much fluid. It's not well developed. They're not grounded because of all of this. Mm -hmm. And parents are not really speaking into this. Matter of fact, parents are abdicating. I saw an extremely sad event a couple of years ago when there was a political event in town. Mm -hmm. And it was supposed to be a town hall meeting where the politicians talked to the people, the community, but they didn't at all. 
And they were talking about the whole gender issue. They were talking about the bathroom issue, all those sorts of things. And one of the representatives said, well, my daughter is telling me that we as adolescents, we've got this handled. We've gotten this taken care of. Mom, we don't really need you to teach us what we need to know about gender and relationships and sexuality. And the woman said to this whole group of people, I realized she was right. And I thought, you know, that is one of the most tragic things I've heard from a politician ever, Mm -hmm. because she just abdicated her entire role as a parent right there. Mm -hmm. When parents are looking into what their children are doing and they're getting educated, they can be nosy. And nosy is when you're micromanaging, you're actually trying to do the role with them. Right. As opposed to curious where you're getting involved to find out, to be curious, to be educated. That's called being a parent. It's letting the kid teach you about what they're involved in. And in that process, the parent teaching the child about relationship. So it's appropriate boundaries where you're not crossing boundaries where you're living your life vicariously through your kids. But it's also teaching your kids, as you understand their life, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, what is truth, what isn't truth, what they get to choose and what they don't get to choose. I was born a white woman in North America. I wasn't born purple in Mars. I I mean, there's just some truths that are, and it's our job as parents to express that to our kids. Well, not only that, but listen to your word appropriate. Mm -hmm. I mean, appropriate means it fits the situation. (laughs) It's a good mental health word. (laughs) Well, it's a great mental health word, but it it means it fits a situation. And that's the whole discussion we're having Mm -hmm. is what indeed does fit? How do you know it fits? What makes it fit? What's the function and fitting? If people don't take a minute and think about why things are the way they are, why it relates to a community, and how to pass that on to a younger generation, then they miss that opportunity to say what appropriateness actually is. Mm, Okay. We're going to get into like just some nitty-gritty about how to be appropriate with different forms of social media or of, of online media. I want to reiterate again, Glow Kids, we'll put it in the show notes, fantastic book about um, social networking and media and what it's doing for our kids and to our kids. Um, let's talk for a minute about social networking and the purpose of social networking. It's really initially used to extend greetings, quick communication over very long distances, and connect people in different parts of the world. I love connecting with my friends from high school. I mean, we're way past high school, but it's fun to know people from way back when and, and to keep in touch with old friends. Um, we just were in Texas a couple weeks ago, and we were able to connect with friends of ours from 20 years ago because of Facebook. So we love that part of it. It's well, yeah, and, and also love being able to connect with people on the other side of the yeah, planet. I absolutely. have good friends uh, in Israel and in, in other parts of the world, and they're able to send me information and articles and, and bits of information I could not get anywhere else. Right. And the other thing that social media is good for, David touched on this without saying it outright, is that we do know people around the world. And part of the reason we know them is because social media has allowed us to say, hey, you don't know me, but I read your book or I saw your article and I want to get to know you. I want to ask your opinion. I'm curious about this. Can you talk to me about it? And frequently those have turned up being very fun long-lasting relationships. And we have several like that. Well, and it's they're, they're very gratifying. And so being able to exchange that information over vast distances is, is a huge plus and a huge strength. 
On the other hand, social networking, if it's used to deal with people in relationships where it involves emotion or extended mm -hmm. logic, you're trying to have a conversation where one is trying to reason through intricate kind of mm -hmm. arguments, use email, telephone, or face-to-face -face because it is very difficult to actually get those extended conversations where there's real depth on any kind of a social networking platform. And we did just touch on anonymity and the electric mob mentality. I want to share a vignette. Um, one of the downsides of social media is during the last Supreme Court justice nomination, I made a statement. We were actually at a conference on abuse, and I actually put a comment on my Facebook page. That comment was lifted and put on another page of someone who has quite polar opposite ideas of me politically, but my name was on her page, and I was really attacked. I was called names. I was told what I thought, that I was a misogynist. I mean, all these crazy things. And it was just really kind of a mob mentality. There was no way for me to defend myself. I didn't really, I wasn't looking for that to be on that page or part of that conversation. But I do think that anonymity and the electronic mob mentality is really one of the great weaknesses of well, social media. Yeah, because often the actual interactions are pretty one-dimensional, simplistic. Oh, yeah. And it makes for real superficial relationships because relationships, you know, to the extent that we can call them that, mm -hmm. you know, form and break off because it's really not a relationship. It's just exchanging information. That The reason why we can call it kind of a mob mentality is if there are people that one actually finds oneself exchanging brief information with, there's this kind of superficial contact. There's not really thought about what people are doing. And people tend to move quickly in attitudes and beliefs and reactions. And so they react mm -hmm. in the same way a mob tends to react. Right. And so to prevent that reaction from the mob, there's some social networking suggestions that what we'd like to suggest. So some etiquettes that we might be able to display as Christians is just first and foremost on any kind of platform Respect the rules of the platform moderator. Mm -hmm, I mean, yeah. there's a purpose to that platform that's to be used. So respect the, the rules of that. Recognize that it's somewhat superficial. It doesn't need to be more meaningful than that platform <laughs> is. Because right. it's not personal. <laughs> it's not personal. Right. So again, stay focused on the purpose of the platform. A lot of times, like on Facebook groups, they actually have rules of engagement, usually on the left-hand sidebar. And the purpose on the right-hand sidebar, it'll say what this group is about. If you're an ice fisher, don't go on a knitting group and start talking about ice fishing. I mean, that's a silly example, but just stay focused on the purpose of the platform. Keep your time and emotional involvement down. If you are spending hours and hours a day on social media, it's probably time to get a hobby. It's probably time to get a dog or more kids, adopt, go on a walk, do something else. Use manners. I teach writing and it just appalls me the lack of punctuation and spelling on social media people there it's just so informal but if you use manners manners are always appropriate especially when you're writing and don't forget it's okay to walk away you don't have to prove anything to anybody on social media right in the end that's the whole point it's a relatively superficial way of exchanging information and having this brief contact with people so one can break it off and that's fine if one's using the media in the way it's supposed to be used uh, the next media that we have that we want to talk about is texting, yeah. where the purpose of texting really is to be used sort of as an electronic post-it note. It works well as to exchange, again, 
brief amounts of information. Uh, here, I'm arriving here. I'm going there. Could you pick up this? Could you pick up that? Do you remember that? It's a way of, of, of basically, again, passing notes very quickly between people who are separated by distance. Uh, it does not work well at all for, as a means of an ongoing discussion. Uh, it's for simple information exchange, not relational problem solving. So again, if it involves emotion or extended logic, use email, telephone, or face-to-face. Right. So some quick texting etiquette um, tips are consider your audience. I just want to say, introduce yourself. My phone went for a bath in a hot tub last month, and so I lost all my contacts. I've spent the last several weeks asking people, who are you? Why are you texting me? And it's a little embarrassing. So just introduce yourself. Try to communicate clearly. And I would say, try to read your text before you send it. Autocorrect is not always very corrective. We all have funny and probably embarrassing stories to share about what autocorrect has done to our simple queries for milk at the store before you come home. So just check what you're doing. Don't be long-winded on texting. Just give people a call. Um, And then be patient in response. My sister-in-law texted after our son had leg surgery a couple weeks ago, and it didn't come through till the next day. I would also just say don't use sarcasm or humor too much in texting because it doesn't translate well. It's one-dimensional. Sarcasm is usually subtle, and it's hard to pick up. It it can be disastrous. And just realize that texts aren't always reliable. Right. And again, understand that if it's becoming a conversation, it's important to shift it to a better venue for a conversation. Mm -hmm. So, hey, why don't we call each other, or can we sit down for a cup of coffee, or can we meet someplace? and make that a more substantive, reliable way of communicating real conversations with people. Understand that texting is, in fact, unreliable because in the sense that one doesn't really know when it's going to arrive or even if it's going to arrive. There's been all kinds of texts that I found out about that never arrived to me and and vice versa. And last but not least, never ghost. Mm. If a person is texting or communicating, communicate back with them. And if you're going to do a relationship change or some kind, if you do it through texting, that's demeaning, it's disrespectful. And I must add, it's it's really cowardly and dishonorable. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to change my relationship with you, I want to see your eyes when I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. At, at worst, I want to be doing it over a phone. But the right thing to do when one's changing or altering or addressing a relationship is at least have real voice kind of contact of one kind or another. Right. One of the reasons we're going through what seems really simplistic is for you to get an idea of some of the things you might want to talk to your kids about when you hand them a phone for a gift or that you feel like it's time for them to get a phone or have their own accounts on computer is so that you can talk through these things with your kids. Ghosting, I read an article on ghosting in a church magazine about how painful it was to the person who had been ghosted and they really had no idea why. And the person who had done the ghosting said, well, I just didn't want to hurt their feelings. The person was devastated by that response that their feelings had been tragically hurt. But really what the person was saying, they didn't want to see the hurt that this change of relationship was going to cause for them. Really, like you said, it's it's cowardice is not being it's willing to hurt the person without trying to amend that at all. Yeah, just because they don't see it and just because they don't experiment experience it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Taking responsibility for talking about things that are emotional requires addressing them. And if there's a fear of hurting a person's feelings, it's important to really think carefully if the appropriate thing to do is instead of just ignoring the issue or sweeping it on the rug. The thing to do is to actually sit down with a conversation in kind of a Matthew 18 sort of way. 
to sit down and see if there can't be a let us reason together experience. Though I want to note that while we are teaching our kids this, the first thing to do is to practice this ourselves for a while mm-hmm. before we talk to our kids. We don't want to do some, teach our kids something that we're not already practicing ourselves. Right. And so it's important to practice this as parents for a period of time before raising this with our kids. I do think, too, on like Facebook, at least, you can block somebody without any explanation. And I think those of us who are on social media, we feel like just a click of the button and all the problems are gone. And that's different when you have real-life relationships with people. Just blocking someone or ghosting them, the problems aren't gone. Well, that's why, again, it's social media, social networking. Those type of relationships are not real relationships. That's why that's appropriate. Yeah. And so what is appropriate in unfriending somebody in a social media platform? Because it's not a real relationship, that's appropriate. Mm -hmm. When it comes to actually having communication in real time with people, that's a real relationship. And so blocking or ghosting is not an appropriate strategy in that instant unless all other methods have been tried. All other measures to try to work on the relationship have been tried. And in that case, we see in Matthew 18, when the person has come before the church and it's the person is still not responding to that, well, they do the ancient version of ghosting yeah. at that time because the person is not willing to work through conversation, through listening and hearing and disclosing that we'll talk about in, in other sessions. In future podcasts. But that's really a disciplinary measure, not a way to just push you aside so I don't have to deal with your emotions. It's, it's a whole different deal. It's not about avoidance. Right. It's about it's about trying to teach. Right. So we're going to jump into email. And I've heard it said that email is slimy. I come from a day when we used to actually write letters to each other with real stationery and stuff like that. Well, that's what a email really is, is a letter. In my view... Anyone who's thinking of email or letter writing as slimy, that's kind of telling me right there that they're losing relationship skills mm-hmm. and they're losing relationship interest. Yeah. Because a letter, a personal letter, a personal email is in fact communicating a certain amount of connection or relationship. Even it can't even be intimacy if it's the right kind of thing. It's email's kind of a transition there. Yeah. It's transitioning from, from digital communicating to relationship communicating. Again, email is often used when relationship conversations should happen, but it's better than trying to use some of the other digital platforms. Right. So as you're teaching your kids how to use email, make sure they understand what a salutation is and a sign-off is. Actually, good grammar means a lot. And be cautious with humor, again, and sarcasm, because it does not translate well in one-dimensional type of communication. But also, I would say, think twice before hitting reply all. And if it's a volatile email that you're responding to or that you've received, feel free to walk away and cool off. You don't have to respond to everything immediately. Yeah, but that's different from not responding at all. Absolutely. You know, taking a time out for oneself is always is often a good idea. Yeah. Remember the old uh, advice by our grandmothers, you know, counting to ten. You know, interesting. <laughs> right, right. I mean, that's. Inter- I was like, "What advice?" Okay, yeah, I remember now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing about that is there's a neuropsychological basis for that, oh. and the reason why is because animals that that don't have our God-given brains don't have frontal lobes. Mm-hmm. In order for us to count, we have to use our frontal lobes. Right. We're using the part of our brain that God has put into us to make us uniquely human. Mm-hmm. So when we count to ten. We're doing something that, that other animals, that I shouldn't say other animals, that animals 
cannot do. Other, other creatures cannot do is what I meant. And so when we actually talk and cool off and give us time to think and to pray and to consider, we're doing something that reflects our being the image of God. Mm. That's why we take that time to cool off. Right. Cool. Okay, so I'm just I'm teaching psych this semester, and it's very interesting in the parts of the brain. When you're responding to something and you have a lot of emotion, you're not in the front part of your brain. Right. You're, and so when you say use your frontal lobe, basically counting to 10 is taking you from that part of your brain where it's reactive and angry to the front part of your brain, which does different stuff. Well, it, the, the stuff that your frontal lobe does is to have perspective, Yeah. to plan. Mm-hmm. To look at things in a big picture, to use values. To take the long view. To take the long view. All of these things mm-hmm. are the middle part of our brain is too primitive for that. Yeah. It's that that's the two year old, you know, toddler part of our brain is the middle part of our brain, mm-hmm. as opposed to the grown up part of our brain, which is the frontal lobe. Yeah. So moving out of that emotional part into that frontal lobe part of us really allows us to handle things with the fullness of what God has given us to be. Mm-hmm. So Oh, just one last thing about emails. They're often shared. <laughs> oh, yes. So don't forget that. If you don't want what you have written down shared, don't write it in an email. Right. It's Emails are designed to be easily copied and sent on, so plan on that being a possibility. If Think about somebody looking over your shoulder while you're writing an email. If this is to get out, and would you be willing to answer for it? Would you really speak to that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so phone calls. When we were little, it was a big deal to learn how to answer the phone. We were required to answer our phone. Rumble residents, this is Lisa speaking. How may I help you? And we needed to have a pen and paper ready, and we needed to take good notes because this was the, the day before um, answering machines. And definitely caller ID. That was a big deal when we got caller ID. Right. I mean, again, that changed the social relationships right. of using telephones and how they are used in our lives. And telephones are supposed to be used most effectively as a personal means of communicating where physical face-to-face is not feasible. Mm-hmm. And I, I would just want to reiterate, um, just identify yourself at the beginning of phone calls because caller ID is not always operational. And like I said, with my, my losing my um, contacts the last month, I have been getting phone calls all month with people who just launched into the conversation and I don't get a chance to say, who are you? And it's always a few minutes in. It's embarrassing to have to ask who is calling. Well, right. It's important to live our lives as if the technology isn't there sometimes. Right. Because technology does go away. But in addition to that, when we're on the phone, uh, it's important to be sensitive to the tone of your voice. I mean, listen to yourself thinking and, and talking. Number one, that keeps you in that frontal lobe. But be intentional about the conversation. Remember that the relationships matter. And so while I'm listening to the other person on the phone, it's important to be listening to me. Mm-hmm. And along with that, I would say don't don't just allow interruptions. Don't break off somebody in the middle of a sentence to yell at your kids or eat food. Use manners like, pardon me, or just a minute. Put your hand over the over your phone if you're going to yell at somebody. I mean, it's just really difficult to be on a phone call when someone's yelling at their child. That's happened to me countless times. Um, but also, when you're eating on the phone with somebody else, it's people know. It's rude. It's rude. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's it's just rude. It's it's If I'm eating in front of someone else, uh, there are certain kind of protocol and courtesies that I extend to them that are impossible over the phone. Right. So, so again, then it's, it's a good idea to not do it. 
In addition, build the habit of always turning off your cell phone ringer whenever you're in any kind of conversation that's important in a meeting. They're always off when I'm in sessions. But even just in a restaurant or theater or training class where you're doing things with other kinds of people around. Church. It's, uh, oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, in church, I mean, worshiping together. It's yeah. uh, we're even better is how about just not take the phone in with you to yeah, church? Right. Uh, it's uh, when you're in church, you're there to focus on the most important thing that can ever exist. Mm -hmm. There's nothing on your phone that can be as important as a person you're focusing on when you're worshiping. Right. Uh, the flip side is obviously emergencies are emergencies. We understand that there's no such thing as legalism mm -hmm. that we want to impose on everybody else. But there are some principles that we can actually incorporate to how we live. And then just use voicemail if you're going to leave a message. Yeah, just make sure that you're talking slow enough that people can understand who you are and how to get a hold of you again if they don't have caller ID. We're going to jump into video teleconferencing, FaceTime, Skype, and Zoom. We actually use Zoom every day with True North Homeschool Academy. It allows our students from around the country and our professors who are out of the country to connect with students from around the world every day in real time and actually have relationships. These kind of teleconferencing connections work really well when face-to-face -face is preferred, but where physical presence isn't feasible or possible. And in our case, we're allowed, we are able to provide world-class education from phenomenal educators around the world to where you are. It's right. a terrific tool. It, it, it is, and sometimes it can be as good or even better than phone calls, though, though, again, that's mixed because, again, the digital communication creates some timing issues, mm -hmm. and so timing of the interaction is a little bit off in some ways that might not be present on the phone. Mm -hmm. By the same token, you actually have the body language. But again, a lot of the problem with when people are using the Skype or Zoom or FaceTime or whatever is they're looking at the image of the person on the screen rather than looking at the camera. And so that throws right. off the interaction of the relationship and kind of decreases that just a little bit because it becomes confusing. So when you're using some kind of face-to-face of, uh, -face social networking like video teleconferencing, it's important to look at the camera as if it's somebody's eyes. Right. It's and hard so to do it. It is. It's hard, but it's it's a skill that really one should try to master because what the person experiences when you treat the camera as the person's eyes is they get that more sense of relationship right. when you're talking in video teleconferencing kind of conversation. Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with that. Absolutely. And then um, lastly, we're going to just touch on face-to-face -face really quickly, although... Um, the rest of our podcast on the soft skill of communication will be focused on face-to-face -face communication and educational circles as executive functioning skills. So when you're talking about the frontal lobe, basically what you're talking about is executive functioning skills, which in many ways are soft skills. Well, they are. I mean, it's important when they've done brain scans on people that when people are being intentional and problem solving and working on issues together, their frontal lobes light up. But when they go into some sort of crisis mode, when they're just reacting, when they're emotional, when they freeze up, again, their frontal lobes go quiet and their midbrains light up. Mm -hmm. And it's important that in relationships, both the frontal lobe and the center part of the brain are talking to each other and both lit up in kind of a dance back and forth because mm -hmm. that allows there to be authentic relationship between the two. Being in the frontal lobe all the time is not healthy. Being in the midbrain is not healthy. God gave us with an entire brain 
it, it's important <laughs> to use thing. the whole thing, all of its parts together. Right. That's what growing in maturity and executive functioning is all about. And when we introduced this whole podcast series, I said a quote, people are hired for their hard skills, but fired for their soft skills. And really what we're hoping that you all take away from these podcasts is how to train your kids in developing soft skills, what used to be called manners. Manners, I like to say, are the oil or the grease that allow relationships to happen. Just like grease and oil allows an engine to function, manners are required to allow relationships to function. Right. We are so glad that you joined us for this podcast, and we hope you join us for the next one coming up soon.